Well, good morning, church family. I'll give us a second to make sure the mic is on. Are we working now? All right. So this morning we have a, uh, a special element to start our, our services. Uh, it's great to gather together and it's great to gather together as a church family. Amen? It's good to see you all um, as well. And so we are starting worship this morning with a special recognition and important step for many people uh, in our church family. We get the chance as a congregation uh, across all of our services to welcome new members. Okay, so uh, in the last few months, we have 38 new members joining this church family and taking this great step of faith. And so in this service, yeah. I have in my script, uh, be excited to, have, uh, the, to welcome them this morning. You beat me to it. So uh, the four we have in this service, come on up and can we welcome them again? And church, we, uh, to remind you, we see membership as a really important part of our spiritual journey. We see membership as a really important part of our journey with a local body of believers. And so before we take our covenant uh, with these new members, um, I just want to invite you, if you are not yet a member, to consider it. We have a regular rhythm of uh, membership classes and, and opportunities to take this step of faith, including 10.30 today. So you could literally leave this service and start that process at 10.30 this morning, okay? And if you're also looking for uh, a way to get plugged in with the church, take a next step, Filling our atrium after the service is going to be leaders from uh, all of our groups. And so I invite you, if you're not plugged into a group yet, make sure you at least make one connection before you leave church uh, this morning. Sound good? Okay, if you nodded your head, you're going to take the step. Okay. So um, this moment we're about to share in covenant with our new members, with you four, is really important. It's a next step of faith, Right? It's your next step in committing as a member to Wheaton Bible Church. It's our next step as a church family in committing to you. It's a spiritual moment, and uh, I just want you to know we're so grateful that you've taken this step. It's an act of worship this morning, so thank you. And what I want to do this morning is, in just a second, I'm going to read our, uh, our membership covenant, okay? Um, for the congregation, it will be up on the screens. Uh, if you agree to the two questions I will ask you, you can say, I do, or we do. Simple as that, okay? And church, then I have a commitment for you to make to these new members as well, and that will be third. Okay. So, to our new members, before God and us, your brothers and sisters in Christ, do you affirm that Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord? And do you commit yourself to him to walk by his spirit and holiness and love? If you do, you can say, you do. Amen. And do you believe in the doctrine of the Christian faith set forth in the constitution of this church? And will you live consistently by these doctrines? Do you promise with God's help to participate in the worship and the work and support of this church in a spirit of love and community? And do you commit to pursue our mission that more and more people would come to love God, grow together, and reach the world? If you make that commitment, you can say, I do. Amen. And congregation, I have uh, some questions for you. 
Will you, the current members of Wheaton Bible Church, now commit yourselves to the love and care for these members of our church? Will you pray that our unity glorifies Christ so that we might together worship Christ and further his cause both here and around the world? If you do, you can say, we will. How about with a little more spirit? We will. Amen. And so, church, if you could extend your hands, and we just want to pray a blessing over these new members as they join uh, this great family, and let's pray together. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for every single step of faith you call us to. Because in every step of faith, we know and we trust that you are faithful and you are present. And so this morning, we thank you for everyone who has followed your call to deeper connection and commitment to your church here at Wheaton Bible Church. We are we're so excited, Lord, for the years of ministry ahead, for the ways we know that you will be present among us, move in us, uh, and through us, Lord, to a world in desperate need of you. And so thank you, Father, for the privilege of life together as a church family. We pray this morning for your blessing on each new member. May they find connection to you. May they find connection to your people. Opportunities to give and serve generously in new ways and to grow in holiness and Christ-likeness. And Lord, we pray for ever-increasing unity here in our church and in the church around the world. I think of your word in Romans chapter 15. May you, the God of endurance and encouragement, grant us to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together we may with one voice glorify you, Lord, and your son, Jesus Christ. So we pray today for a love for one another that testifies to your goodness and your faithfulness to a watching world. In your most holy name we pray, amen. Can we welcome them one more time? Thank you all. And you can be seated. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, all my soul, right? All those within me praise his holy name. So today we're going to start with a hymn that is all about that. So let's stand and sing together. Oh, 
and praise. Amen. Have a seat. Our moment of confession this morning is adapted from the book New Morning Mercies. It's on the date June 28th. So let's pray um, silently with me. Father, we wish we could say that we're never afraid, but we can't. We wish we could say that we never wonder what you are doing, God, but we can't. We wish we could say that we are always aware that you are near, but we can't. We wish we could say that all we do is done out of faith and not fear, but we can't. Fear lives and rules in our hearts as believers when we forget your sovereignty and grace. If left to ourselves, we should be afraid. But the message of the gospel is that we haven't been left to ourselves that you, Emmanuel, are with us. 
you rule with perfect wisdom over all the circumstances and locations that would make us afraid. We are never in anything, anywhere, at any time by ourselves. Father, forgive us for forgetting your sovereignty and grace. We never step into a situation that is outside your control. We never move beyond the reach of your authority. You never are surprised by what we face. You never leave us to the limited resources of our own wisdom, strength, and righteousness. And for that, we are oh so grateful. Give us grace to remember who you are, and may our response be that of faith in God with us. Emmanuel, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and proclaim what a friend we have in Jesus.
Good morning, Familia. As we gather to worship today, I have an important update to share with you. I'm sorry that I cannot be there in person, but I am with Tri-Village Church this morning, which is an extension of our congregation. As many of you know, for the last six years, they have been meeting in the Awana building in the Streamwood area. 
they have been incredibly gracious to us. A few months ago, we asked you to be in prayer for Tri-Village because the Awana building was up for sale, and they therefore would need uh, to find a new place to gather when it was sold. The news of a future relocation added to some challenges Tri-Village has already been facing for the last two years. As is the case for many smaller congregations, the pandemic has made it extremely difficult for them to go back to what it was at the beginning. Many transitions, some members moving away, the slow return of congregants, and the lack of volunteers has created a very difficult position for Tri-Village. In the midst of this, our staff at Tri-Village has done an amazing job. Pastor Eric and the team have given it all by loving, caring, and serving for the congregation with all their hearts. Tri-Village has truly been a blessing to the Streamwood area and to many families. Since we first heard of the need to relocate, we investigated more than 120 possible locations, and the Lord has not opened any permanent doors. We have been praying that He would not only provide a location, but also guide us in the process. A few weeks ago, we were informed that the Awana building was sold, and our ability to use the space will conclude the middle of September. After much prayer, and after many hours of conversations, as well as seeking wisdom and direction from the Lord, the executive pastoral team under the guidance of the elders have come to the conclusion that Tri-Village season of ministry has come to an end. Tri-Village Church will hold the last service on Sunday, September 11. This has been an extremely difficult decision because we're talking about our brothers and sisters in Christ, whom we love and care for deeply. We are convinced that God in His sovereignty and wisdom has used Tri-Village all these years for the glory of His name and the well-being of His people. Many came to Christ through this congregation. Many felt loved and welcomed and also found a home in this congregation. We are forever grateful for everything the Lord did in and through Tri-Village. On behalf of leadership, I ask you to lift our brothers and sisters at Tri-Village Church in prayer. I also humbly ask you to lift the leadership of Tri-Village Church in prayer. In the following weeks, our plan is to shepherd the congregation well. We are inviting them to join us here in the West Chicago location. But if this location is not a possibility for some of them, we are recommending trusted churches in the area for them to join. I want to close by thanking our staff at Tri-Village, Eric, Melissa, Ava, and Drew, as well as all of our ministry partners that have faithfully served for so many years. Thank you to everyone that has been involved in this beautiful journey called Tri-Village Church. May the Lord bring healing and hope for what is yet to come. Good morning. Uh, I am John Walker of your Elder Board. As we um, pursue the ministry of Wheaton Bible Church and as we do that together, from time to time, we come to very difficult situations like this one that require hard decisions. And when this happens, we try to do two things. First, we seek unity in prayer and thought and deliberation of all the elders together with our pastoral leadership team. And we've done that, and unity, we believe, is essential. Secondly, we seek to understand 
who in our body is being uh, most directly impacted by this decision. And we want to reach out to them with love and support and encouragement. And this is certainly our goal. I encourage you to pray for our brothers and sisters at Tri-Village Church. And I encourage you to find ways to support them. David, as he was praising the Lord in 1 Chronicles 16.27, says this, Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his presence. Please join me in prayer. Dear Father, we praise you for your splendor. We praise you for your majesty. We seek, Lord, to be in your presence. And we ask, Lord, that you do give us strength. And we ask, Lord, that you do give us joy, even in hard times. And we ask this especially for our brothers and sisters at Tri-Village Church. We thank you for all that you have accomplished in them and through them. We thank you for all who have come to know Jesus through their ministry and for the many who have served at Tri-Village Church. We thank you, Lord, for this. And now, Lord, we ask that you will align our hearts and our minds with yours by the preaching of your word this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Well, good morning again, church family. Uh, so as we continue in worship this morning, uh, I want us to turn our hearts to the reading of God's Word and then the, the preaching and teaching of His Word as we continue in our Matthew series. Uh, so if you are following along in your uh, journals, or your Matthew journals, we are on week 17, that's in page 48, um, and if you have your Bible with you, I am in uh, Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 10, 15. And so if you could stand out of reverence uh, for God's word as we read this morning. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure, impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, 
Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff for, uh, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. And you may be seated. Well, church, good morning once again. My name is uh, Kyle Reschke. For those of you who don't know me, I serve as one of our pastors on staff, and I am uh, preaching here this weekend. As you heard from Pastor Hannibal, he is uh, at Tri-Village in person to offer that announcement in person um, there. I want you to know that I'm glad you're here today. Uh, I want you to know that if you're visiting with us today, whether here or online, we are glad that you're here. We are really glad that you're worshiping with us, taking a step to explore the church, and I just invite you um, to take a step to make a connection today. Greet our welcome team, one of our group leaders um, out in the atrium. Uh, You can't miss it, the big green sign that says welcome uh, in the middle of the atrium, okay? Um, I know our missionary family, also tuning in from online, uh, from many nations of the world, just want to remind you all that we love you and are so glad you are part of this church family among the nations. So as we continue in our Matthew series, we have uh, some really significant developments today. We actually see this really important switch occur We've spent a number of weeks um, in in Matthew uh, as Jesus taught about the kingdom of God. The Sermon on the Mount was Matthew 5 through 7. So he is uh, teaching, speaking about the kingdom of God, that is in word. And then in the last few weeks, we have been in Matthew chapters 8 and 9, and we see Jesus living out this word, right? Right? He gave it in word, and then he lives it out in deed. He's healing, healed a sick woman, raising a dead girl, calming the stormy seas, casting out demons, healing the blind and mute. He is acting as the great physician. His actions are showing that he has the authority of the king, and that's the authority we see here in our passage today. So again, I don't want you to miss this as we continue because now Jesus turns it to his followers. The mission starts to expand in a new way and it does so in word and deed together. Why do I make sure we have that all clear before we start? Well, I think some of us uh, like to live and think, well, it's only word or it's only 
deed. No, these things go together hand in hand in the kingdom of God. We sometimes think of this quote, it's sometimes attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, who says, preach the gospel in all that you do, and if necessary, use words. And at first response, we can say, oh, that's, you know, that's a nice thought. I just go about my life with the random acts of kindness, and, and somebody looking on will just know We'll just know what the gospel is or, or uh, uh, pr- the proclamation of the kingdom. No, the words are necessary, word and deed, because they always go hand in hand. It's how Jesus always did it too. An example I've always loved is when I think back to uh, my dating life and um, what if I went to Joy the first time I maybe wanted to ask for her phone number and said, Joy, can I have your number? I'd love to give you a call sometime. If necessary, use digits. <laughs> Probably not going to it's, it's necessary, right? Word and deed come together. You with me so far? That's where we arrive today. So here's where we're going. There's a key word in our passage about this word and deed together. It's a passage that is used throughout Scripture in descriptions of the character of God. We are going to explore this word, compassion. And I'm going to do this in three ways in our uh, passage today. So we have the motive of compassion, the means of compassion, and the mission of compassion. If you're with me, say with you. All right, that's where we're going. So turn back with me, uh, Matthew 9. I'm going to start in verses 35 through 37, where we first encounter uh, this word. Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So compassion. This is a key word throughout scripture, okay? It's not just here. It's not just Jesus we see being described as compassionate. God is often described as compassionate throughout the Old Testament too. And in the Hebrew language, the the same word for compassion or God is compassionate is actually related to uh, the word for womb, like a mother's womb, a bringing into the safest place, a relationship of dependence. In the book of Isaiah, God compares his compassion, his care for his people, like the compassion of a mother for a nursing child. God says, just like a mother, just like a nursing mother, couldn't forget that child. How much more will I not forget my people? That's the compassion of God. That is a compassionate God. This deep movement of care and love towards that baby and the the baby's complete dependence on mom. Now, why did this really resonate with me this week? If you see the bags under my eyes, you may remember I have a six-week-old baby daughter at home. We gave birth to our second child. Joy gave birth. We didn't. I helped a little bit. 
Uh, Her name's Brighton, and I see this relationship. No matter the time, day or night, we know the majority of her cries mean one thing. She's hungry. And I see the movement of my wife towards those cries. And so right now, I understand that in life, this is a really beautiful thing. Right now, the answer to pretty much all of her problems, um, I really don't have the solution for. And that's okay. My more significant roles as dad will come later in life, right? I was thinking this week of her dating life. When some young guy may need to be reminded, subtly or not so subtly, that Brighton's dad uh, is an expert with the Hawaiian sling spear fishing spear <laughs> that is still in my home, okay? Or has traveled the world and collected traditional weapons for many uh, uh, leaders, and so they are, his- they are historically displayed in my office at home. We may need to take a tour. And then I'll be reminded of this sermon, which I'm preaching. What am I preaching? Compassion. Okay. But that's the compassion of God, like a nursing mother to her child, a profound movement. God is full of that same movement. In Exodus, God's people who were enslaved to the Egyptians cried out to him, and we read in response to these cries that God was moved or deeply moved, and then he took an action about it. He's described there as compassionate, and God made that move and rescued them. So we're living here in the motive of compassion, that same type of care and provision. And then throughout the generations, pointing to a new era of God's compassion arriving. He sees the plight of the people. He sees a world lost in sin. God is moved by compassion again. And in his perfect compassion, he sends his son, Jesus Christ. What is the motive of compassion? It is responding to that deep need, taking an action, and entering in. And so, God becomes man. This is the Christian story, right? Became man, dwelt among us, lived, died, rose again to offer salvation to the nations. This is the Christian story. Compassion is at the core of it because it's not about how many steps. I hope I never give you three steps, ten steps, however many steps to say, do this to reach God. No, Christianity is about the infinite number of steps God has taken towards us in the form of his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Such a common verse, but this is God's compassion. John 3.16, many of you know it. For God so loved the world that he didn't leave us to ourselves. What did he do? He entered in. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world that he sent his only son to live, suffer, die, and to enter in to rescue a humanity lost in sin. As we're reading in our passage, sick and in need of the great physician, it's exactly what we're seeing Jesus do today. And that word compassion that we read in our passage is like this deep gut feeling. You ever respond to something and say, I felt it in the of my stomach. Or you ever get really nervous before something and you describe it as the butterflies 
Multiply that times a hundred, and that's this deep move when we say, and Jesus had compassion on them. Why did he have it? What was the state of the crowds? Well, we read, you can go to the next slide, in 936, the crowds were what? Harassed and helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And so Jesus sees this, has compassion on them. This flock of people, if you do a word study, this uh, harassed and helpless, you can see in other translations or the fullness of, of the word is that this can mean flayed or torn. And so if you envision, think uh, Discovery Channel or National Geographic uh, like uh, like me, um, when you watch and you see um, some innocent, usually cute animals, and you know the predator is about to come. And if the predator has free reign through that flock for the night, that flock is flayed. They are torn. That is the state. That is the state of these crowds. They were harassed physically. We know that many were poor and hungry. They were harassed spiritually. Here, Jesus gives a subtle or not so subtle indictment of the religious leaders of the day who instead of helping those and removing the burdens, actually we read later in Matthew, Matthew 23, 4, keep heaping up burdens. And so the motive of compassion starts. He saw them. They were harassed and helpless. And what does compassion do when you have that deep realization, that deep need? Compassion enters in. And that's what Jesus does. So that's the motive of compassion. The compassion of God motivating action towards suffering or a need. So the motive of compassion, next we have the means of compassion. Because you may be saying at this point, okay, Kyle, I hear you. Compassion of God is amazing. He sent Jesus, right? I agree. But how does this play out? What does this mean for Jesus' disciples? What does it mean for Jesus' followers today? And I'm so glad you ask. Because not only does Jesus give the motive, we see here he gives all of the means. He deeply sees the situation. He pauses to articulate the need, and then he does something specific in the midst of the need. Does Jesus immediately say, okay, disciples, get to work. Here's your to-do list. One, two, three, go team. Go into action. No, Jesus has another first response. Verses 37 and 38. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. He sees the need. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. That ask is also pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Go to the Lord. Before you act, actually pray to the Lord to send out his workers. So, to all you doers out there, see this first Get centered back on the right motive. And the way to do that is through prayer. There is something so unique in the Christian faith about a foundation of prayer. And it sets us on firm foundations like Pastor Hannibal has been talking about, not on our own faithfulness, but reminded of the full faithfulness 
of God. So if you look back and you look at major movements of God through history, these are often called revivals, right? This is when whole communities or whole nations have have come to new and saving faith. This has happened before in the United States of America. It's happening now around uh, the world. If you study the history of revivals, uh, this, they often start, not often, always grow out of prayer meetings. Do you know that? They grow out of prayer meetings. These times of great revival, um, usually when the church has lost a lot of cultural power and influence, what was left was a faithful remnant of Christ's followers who prayed, who loved each other well, and who burned with the fire of evangelism. You can trace it in every revival here and around the world. You can look to places today, like in East and West Africa. I've been there and in many places in East Asia as house churches and, and, and it's just growing exponentially. It all starts with a faithful remnant praying, deeply committed to prayer together. We had earlier this summer a group of uh, believers from South Korea who came and joined our church and we spent a whole day together um, and they were a revival prayer group. And so they came, they prayed over this space, they prayed over all these chairs for all of you outside on our land and in the community and they told us, they said, you know what? 50 years ago, what God did in the United States, there was a revival here. Billy Graham and team, and it was an evangelistic revival. We knew millions were coming to faith in Christ. And out of that, evangelists were sent to South Korea. And this group said, our parents were part of the one million people in South Korea who heard and responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ because of what God was doing in your country. And now we're coming back because we want to pray with you for revival here. Isn't that cool? It was awesome. A day in prayer together with brothers and sisters. And we met each other, and five seconds later, we're in prayer. We knew the bond that we had in Christ, right? So prayer. Next, Jesus gives his authority. You can keep moving with me. Chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Jesus called his 12 disciples, watch some words here that change. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. Did you catch anything there? The the disciples are described differently here. Their, Their descriptor changed. They were disciples, primarily meant to mean learners, and then Jesus gave them authority to be sent out, and then they're described as apostles, which is like an emissary, a sent one. What changes it for them? It's not their own faithfulness. Jesus gives them authority, and they go from learners to sent ones. And then we get the list of names, but something I want you to see here, okay? Does Jesus model the same foundations he's saying? He absolutely does. Luke 6, uh, verse 12. An account of this, before he calls the disciples, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. And when morning came, 
Then he called his disciples to him. Starting out big moves with a foundation of prayer, Jesus didn't just say, pray to the Lord of the harvest. He actually prayed to the Lord of the harvest, right? Isn't that cool to see? And then he, said, he gives them the authority. Follow with me, verses 8 through 11. He says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff for the worker is worth his keep. And it seems to me that Jesus here is reminding them that the authority they've been given is not based on their merit, it's based on his I believe the disciples here were called a lot less on their own ability and a lot more on their availability. There are a lot of reasons for this. In the missions world, uh, the worthy person we, uh, we read about in this passage is sometimes called a person of peace. It's a person that we trust when we're uh, a missionary is going out to a new place that God has already been at work, softening the hearts of somebody, getting someone or a household ready to receive his good news. And I also read a couple of commentators this week who see the commands of Jesus here for them to travel light actually as like a missionary training exercise. So a second cloak, what would a second cloak be useful for in this time? It'd be really comfortable to sleep on the ground. What would money bag, what would all of these things be useful for? Well, they could rely on these things in a time of need. When Jesus says, don't take any of these things with you, there's a sense that they are being sent out to learn to lean entirely on the means of compassion on Jesus himself right? You need to rely on a safe place to sleep, on God going ahead of you and providing that if you don't have the cloak. This has been true in my own missionary and discipleship journey. When I was a a younger man, 23, 24 years old, um, I lived on a remote island group, um, disconnected from most modern luxuries. That would include grocery stores, um, Amazon, Uh, things like electricity, things like that, okay? Remote island group. And in the first months, it's a definite shock to the system. I grew up in this area. I grew up in the Chicago suburbs, so I I had grown used to what things look like around here. And here I am learning to spearfish for my food. Back to my first story, that's, that's what the spear is from, right? But this was a missionary training exercise because in my mission's journey, what God was showing me for, preparing me for, was a lifetime of living in what the apostle called knowing how to live in seasons of plenty and in seasons of want and everything in between. It was an important lesson for me to learn at 23 that actually stripped of most of my material comforts, life was not just good, it was really good because the Lord was there, right? And he reframes a view of luxury. What a great lesson that uh, every six to eight weeks when the the cargo boat would arrive and, and would have supplies for us, I like salivated because the luxury of what would arrive would be like a canister of Spam and a sleeve of Oreos. 
a missionary training exercise. The Lord provides. He always did. Because I know that when he is the one who has called me to that mission and that place, he will be the one to sustain it. And do I trust in new ways in the midst of those circumstances, his presence and provision? Absolutely I do. Another story with, with a, a, a short-term mission team uh, that we traveled with, we were in the heart of the Middle East. Dave, you were there with me, right? Driving through uh, a village. Our, our missionary, our partner there had spent the night doing what Jesus had commanded and praying over a map, over these 124 villages that are in this country and said, God is going to send us here. It's a place of high persecution of Christians. It was a village known uh, for all kinds of other um, uh, violence and uh, gun running, things like that. And he said, well, this is where we're going. And we showed up there and, and we drove and we drove and we eventually saw a couple people sitting outside on a, on a front um, kind of porch. And he rolled down the window and yelled out something to this family. Um, and he turned to me and then said, I just yelled to them, hey, I have 12 American Christians who would like to have coffee with you. To which our car is kind of going like, dude, you can't, you can't say that here. Like everything you just told us. But you know what happened? Within about 30 seconds, there were piles of foldable chairs being brought out to the front porch. There was coffee brewing. And we spent that whole afternoon talking with them, sharing testimonies, praying over them in the name of Jesus. A woman on our team praying over a young woman from this community over some of the deepest wounds of her life and doing it in the name of Jesus. Does God give the means? Does he go ahead of us and before us? You better believe he does. So here's some practical application for you today. You see, God's faithfulness goes before his sent ones. You get to see the Lord working. You take the step. I believe that so many of us say we're praying and praying for miracles to happen and then we avoid the context in which they happen. You are praying for your coworker in a change of heart. You are praying for a family member and over their marriage, but then are not sharing Christ's compassion with them. You may be the messenger who God sends into that place. You may be the agent of compassion. Take a step. And you've just heard from my experience, uh, which I know has been very global and, and among the nations. I have another testimony from an amazing lady in our church family uh, this week who shared. And so I want you to watch this video. Afterwards, I'll come up. We have the motive, the means, and I'm going to close us with the mission, but listen to this beautiful testimony on the motive, means, and mission of the compassion of God. Week after week, I would go outside, I would look at the clouds. I knew that there was this entity called God. Well, maybe God would reveal himself to me through the clouds. I was just told he was in heaven and that it was up there. Maybe when they parted, I could see heaven. I had a great aunt who came and stayed with us for a week while my parents were gone. She tucked us in at night and she said, okay, now let's pray. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And that made me think, soul, what is a soul? 
she said it was the essence of everything I was. You know, I have a body and I have a mind and I have a heart, but my, my soul took in everything. The words just melted in my heart and just kind of surrounded me and I just kind of wow, wanted them to find a, a, a settling place in my heart. God was standing there at the, my door knocking and I heard the knocking, but I didn't know how to open the door. I came home from school and found out my father had passed away that day. I went into instant denial, and I was full, fill, filled with hate, anger. If God exists, He is going to hear this from me. I went into the basement thinking one of three things was going to happen. Nothing, because God didn't exist. Or two, how dare you speak to the mighty God, and I would something terrible would happen to me. Or three, that He'd be like that great aunt that I had. Instead, I felt enveloped in love and compassion. And I don't know how I understood that that was compassion, but I did. At that moment, at 14 years of age, I felt compassion from God. After my dad died, I wanted to know how to have a personal relationship with God. It took six years before somebody came and talked in a language that I could understand and presented the gospel to me and described completely who God was and his son, Jesus. Then he went in to talk about how God wanted to redeem us and that he had a plan for us. Then he went out and talked to my husband and said, would you like to accept Christ as your savior tonight, Bob? And my husband, he was absolutely glowing. And he said, yes, I do. And I was just like, whoa, something has happened to him. So I prayed to God. I said, God, I wanted to have a relationship with you for the last six years, actually for almost my whole life, but I don't know what is keeping me from, from saying yes. The pastor said, Jenny, would you like to accept Christ as your Savior tonight? My head went down, and for about five minutes, literally, I sat and I thought about it. I said to the pastor, I said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that He died on the cross to pay the, for the penalty for my sins. I said, but, he said, Jenny, leave it to the Holy Spirit to help you understand the rest of Scripture. I'm like, I can do that. I can actually say, yes, I'm committing to, to Christ. My husband and I went into teaching. We went into... Um, uh, different ministries here at church, and we learned to memorize scripture we, so that we would always have an answer for the hope that was within us, so that we could then share it with other people, you know, how they too could have this joy and, and this everlasting peace. God has given us all gifts, and He gave my husband the gift of evangelism. He was very bold. He wanted everyone else to feel that joy and that everlasting peace. He was evangelizing to everybody he saw. For me to just go to someone's door and knock, you know, somebody's, I don't even know them, and just knock on their door and say, I've got good news for you, you know, was something that I found uh, overwhelming. So I asked God to bring people into my life. And then uh, I had a stroke. And uh, all of a sudden, I'm in the hospital and I'm sharing with doctors and nurses and the people who cleaned my room. And I would have never met these people if I not had had my stroke. The thing that was interesting to me in reflecting back on it is, is that Jesus knew how much pain he was gonna be in and he willingly went to the cross for all of us, knowing he was gonna suffer this anguishing pain. And fortunately, I never had to be so selfless, you know? He just brought people into my life because he's got a better plan. My heart feels like it bleeds for, for other people. I remember back when I didn't know, it was just a matter of wanting to know God, but, uh, someone not being able to tell me to, you know, speak into my heart in a way that I would understand. And I think there's a lot of uh, questioning hearts out there who would love to have that joy and the love of, of the Lord. He walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own.
Amen, right? So I'm told uh, if you ever need to find Ginny uh, here in the sanctuary, look for a hat. There she is, right there. Thank you, sister, for sharing. We hear there the motive, the means. I, I love her, the, the realization of, uh, you know, I felt overwhelmed by sharing this and realizing, wait, God has given me everything that I would need to go and do this. I say amen to that, Jenny. Thank you. And so as we go back to our pa- passage, motive means the mission that you heard. There are crowds out there. Like Jenny said, um, Jesus now sends out his disciples among the crowds. And he says, do not go among the Gentiles or any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, proclaim the message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. But while you proclaim it, what are they doing here? Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. give. Now they're proclaiming, I want to acknowledge something here, a question. I'm not going to spend a lot of time with it today. Jesus said, before you go out to the nations, he actually says, go first to the lost sheep just of Israel. Uh, This is likely because this is part of the bigger uh, story or history of redemption. So you can trace back thousands of years to the very beginning of Scripture in which God made a covenant, a binding promise with Abraham that Abraham and all his descendants would receive the greatest blessing, the Messiah, the Savior, and would therefore be a blessing to the whole world. And part of this was first to the people of Israel, then to Israel. The world. So what Jesus is commanding them to do here is a part of that. But we fast forward then because we know the story doesn't end here. I don't even need to leave the book of Matthew before Jesus uh, sends out his disciples among the nations, right? Final verses of the book of Matthew. You may know them by heart. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always. So here's a cool way to to read the scriptures. Take a look. Anytime Jesus sends people out, you're going to have bookends around it. He reminds them, you're going to go on my authority. And remember, you're going on my authority. He bookends it and reminds them, don't lean on your own strength. You are going out on mine. And so we fast forward a little bit more and we know the mission is not just given to one people in one time, but it's given to all who are made new in Christ Jesus. So listen up. I want you to hear this today. When the world seems its most hostile, when things seem most out of your control, when you feel like you're in the middle of a storm, when you look out and see crowds in need of God, you have a couple of possible responses can view it with fear, can view it with anger. You can try to find a holy huddle somewhere to just try and retreat from it all. You can enter yourself in whatever cycle of outrage is in vogue for the day, or you can do exactly what Jesus is sending you out to do, which is entering in with his 
compassion. Amen? Don't view the world, even when it seems hostile, with fear. View it with compassion. It's exactly what he did in our passage today. In his perfect love and obedience to the Father, it's what he did to redeem us. He went to the cross and in his perfect compassion died for our sins. So he has us, his people, his church, to praise him that when we are lost in our sin, when we are in need of salvation, he didn't say, just leave them to their own devices. He didn't just say, leave them, they will experience the consequences for their sin. No, he is moved and literally enters in. That's the world, that's the moment I think we're in today, to deeply look at the world, to find God's motive of compassion, what God has to say about it, foundationally on his means, what is the power he's going to give, and his answer is what it was 2,000 years ago, I will send my people. So globally, church, this is why we do what we do. This is why we've sent and partner with more than 90 missionaries and strategic partners in over 50 nations of the world. And that number's growing as God raises up you all among us into global missionary service. In some of the most persecuted places, unreached places, we have national partners, believers in their home home countries. I did some back back of the napkin math uh, this week. Just reading three of these reports from uh, national leaders in highly persecuted places, they're planning to reach more than 100,000 people with the gospel. And they are missionaries of our church. Locally, this is why we do what we do, why you hear about and are called to volunteer with places like Puente del Pueblo, that we would work for the common good, that we would be agents of Christ's compassion to our communities. God is using it. And so each week, this is why we end our services by reminding you that you are what? Yes. It isn't just some feel-good moment. It isn't just a routine to close a service. Here's what I believe. That God is looking out at your family. He is looking out at your neighborhoods. He's looking out at your workplaces. Students, my students here, listen up. He's looking out at your schools, your sports teams, all the businesses you frequent, all the spheres spheres where you have been given influence, and I believe he is moved to his depth with compassion. His response today is what it has been for over 2,000 years. I will send my people. Do you hear that? Do you receive that? He has given us, church, the motive. He's given us the means and the mission of compassion. Let's pray. Lord, we pray this morning like Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew chapter 9. We pray to you, the Lord of the harvest, to send out your people. Lord, set us on your firm foundations to give us your motive.
Grow us in trust that you are the provider of all the means needed to accomplish your mission in the world. And we thank you, Lord, for your compassion shown most perfectly and beautifully in your son, Jesus Christ. So may you grow us as sent ones of that compassion to a world we know and see is in desperate, desperate need of it. Amen. Last him, we want to encourage. Thank you so much. We don't recognize our tech people enough. Um, uh, we want to encourage you to, as we sing, we're going to sing Great is Thy Faithfulness. And we often sing that with an inward, um, or at least within our church. But today, we're going to sing it on behalf of someone that you know that doesn't know Christ yet. Think of how God is uh, faithful to them and how he can be. And let's make this a prayer that God would be continually faithful to people that don't know him yet and use um, everything he can to, to save them. So let's stand together and sing together.
So church, he is faithful. For our benediction this morning, I want to read to you from Romans 8, 38 through 39 on the faithfulness of God because this is the foundations on which you are sent. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen? Amen. So church, you have the motive, you have the means, you have the mission. You are sent to a world that is in desperate need of him to be his agents of compassion. So Wheaton Bible Church, we love you. You are sent. Have a great week.